You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good morning. I love these uh, cool Bay Area mornings as the, as the, rest, the rest of the country is sweltering and... We have to put on sweaters, so it's uh, (laughs) good to see all of you. Before I, uh, I'm John, one of the pastors here. Uh, Before I jump into what we're going to talk about this morning from Habakkuk, um, I do want to remind you that we are starting one of our core classes on September 10th. It's on Sunday mornings at 1030, so you can come here um, for service and then go upstairs. It's how to study the Bible, and uh, we really are committed to the Scripture because the Scripture is the way God speaks to us, and everybody can use help in learning how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to apply it, and this is just a very practical course in how to get the most out of the Bible. So I invite you to think about joining us for 10 weeks, 1030 beginning on September 17th. Jeff and I will be uh, alternating in, in teaching it. Last week, Jeff introduced us to uh, the unique little book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is a different kind of prophet. Normally, the prophets simply relate the message that God gave them. But Habakkuk is a conversation between Habakkuk and God as Habakkuk struggles with what God has revealed to him. Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah. He lived during the divided kingdom portion of Israel's history for several hundred years. Israel was actually two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Ten tribes, two tribes. The the ten tribes of the north were always bad. And they finally got conquered by the Assyrian Empire and scattered throughout the world. Judah on the south lasted about a hundred years later because they had a few good kings who kept them back from the extremes of idolatry and immorality and corruption that uh, uh, overtook their brethren in the north. But as Habakkuk opens, the last good king, Josiah, has died in battle. And his evil son has taken over as king and, and the nation is awash in idolatry and and immorality and corruption. And and the book opens with Habakkuk going to God and saying, what's going on? Why don't you do something? You ever say, what are that? How how can this go on? Why aren't you going to do something? And God reveals to Habakkuk, I am going to do something. I'm sending the Babylonians. And they're going to conquer Judah and all the other nations. And and Habakkuk is shocked. And, And he says in Uh, in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, the Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor on those who deal treacherously. Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Or as I Uh, entitled this morning's message, How Can You Use Them to Judge Us? And, And this is a question that has vexed believers for hundreds of years. Why do the righteous suffer while the wicked prosper? I think a lot of Christians are asking that now in our country. Why is it that that the anti 
Christian forces have taken over the legislatures and the executive branches of different states and the courts and the corporations and the media and are actively promoting a worldview and a morality that's antithetical to the Bible. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you allowing our children to be deceived? Why are you allowing our youth to be filled with anxiety and worry? Where are you, God? And that's the question that, that forms this whole book, is that where is God when, when the bad guys are winning and, and the good guys are losing? And, and God gives us a, a great answer here. Chapter 1 is uh, Habakkuk's complaint. Chapter 2 is God's answer, which ought to be comforting to us because God is, as Jeff said last week, God is not offended or doesn't get angry when we have doubts. Our questions, he just wants us to bring those questions to him. James 1.5 says, uh, if any man lacks wisdom, ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. So chapter 2 is God's answer to Habakkuk's question. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So let's pray and as we jump into the scripture. Father, we thank you for your word. But we admit we can't understand it apart from your spirit. And we pray you'll open our eyes to see the things you want us to see and to believe them and apply them to our lives that we might receive your blessing and your favor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Habakkuk 2, 2 through 5. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. And this is a great verse, by the way, about how portions of the Bible come to us. A lot of people just wrote down the vision, wrote down what God told them, so that those who believe the Bible, read the Bible, will have the strength to run the race that God gives us to run. Because when you're in the Bible, you receive strength and direction you otherwise won't have. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. The vision of Babylon coming is, is going to happen, but not right away. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and do not see. And for that reason, the person of faith is going to do a lot of waiting, where they have to believe what God has said rather than what they see. Behold, as for the proud one, referring to the Babylonians, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. And that is one of the most oft-repeated verses in the New Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. That according to the Bible, you're not righteous because of what you do. You're righteous because of who you believe. And that's the gospel, isn't it? We're saved by our faith in Christ, not by anything we do. Now, in the context of Habakkuk, here's what God means. He says, I know the Babylonians are evil, but you need to trust me in how I'm going to use them because it's going to turn out better than you ever thought it would. 
Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all the peoples. The Babylonians will appear unstoppable. They will gobble up nation after nation, but it will not always be so. Will not all these, the nations that have been gobbled up by the Babylonians, take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, for how long, and makes himself rich with loans. God says that those who are now terrified of the Babylonians will one day laugh at them because of how things turn out. God's answer to Habakkuk is that he can use anyone he wants to discipline his people because they're not going to get away with their own wickedness. And the fact that you're less wicked doesn't mean you don't need to be disciplined too. This verse from Galatians is, to me, kind of frames this whole passage. Paul writes, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he reap. God is not mocked. He will act. And whatever anyone sows, this he will reap. And he now illustrates that, that truth through the example of the Babylonians. In the next, between verses 6 and 20, God tells this song of laughter and taunting. The nations will sing eventually about Babylon and gives five woes that are going to come upon the Babylonians because of what they've sowed, what they've done, that their evil is going to come back to haunt them. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Woe number one. Here's the first verse. Woe to the thief. Will not all these, the nations that have been gobbled up by Babylon, take up a taunt song against him, even mockery, and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, for how long, and makes himself rich with loans. The Babylonians stole what belonged to other nations, and, and God uses the picture of a loan shark. The Babylonians are like loan sharks who get rich by, by getting people into debt and, and continually milking them and taking all they owe and they can never get out of debt. And that's what the Babylonians... Babylonians didn't just destroy nations. They exploited them. They took huge amounts of natural resources and precious metals and, and slave labor and just kept bleeding these nations, stealing everything they had until that nation was just a, a shell of its former self. But because God is not mocked, the Babylonians are only hurting themselves. You know, Proverbs warns that, that it's not how much you make, but how you make it that matters to God. Proverbs 13, 11, wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers it by 
labor increases it. It's not how much you make. It's how much you get to keep that matters. And God says, people who profit by stealing, by dishonesty, uh, by fraud, will lose what they have. I'll see to it. Proverbs 1.19, so are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of his possessors. God is not balked. And Babylon will reap what they've sowed. And that's why it goes on. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them because you have looted many nations. All the remainders of the people will loot you. You reap what you sow. Because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. The nations that Babylon has looted will in the end loot them. That's the first woe. Woe to those who steal. Here's the second woe. Woe to the greedy. Not only do the Babylonians steal, they steal with the mistaken belief that they're making their position more secure. Greed is always fueled by fear. Always fueled by fear. That's what Jesus said. He, in, in Luke 12, he says, beware of greed. For not even when one has enough, this is, this is coming from me. This, I didn't put it up there, okay. These are selected verses from verse 12, so I appreciate your diligence. You're going to have to take this by faith. Um, <laughs> beware of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, and yet not one of them is forgotten before God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. For this reason I say to you, don't be anxious about your life as to what you will eat or for your body as to what you shall put on. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Throughout the scriptures, God's great rival is money. God says, trust me and I'll take care of you. And money says, get enough of me, and I'll take care of you. And you have to decide, who am I going to entrust my life to? Am I going to entrust my life to the God who is my Father, who loves me, who promises to take care of me? Or am I going to say, if I just get enough money, I can shield myself against everything that happened. Babylonians chose money. And that's why God goes on and says, Habakkuk 2.9, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to put his nest on high to be delivered from the hand of calamity. Why did the Babylonians loot the nations, according to that verse? For their own security. To shield themselves from calamity. Because greed is always motivated by fear. They built the greatest city in the world at that time. The, the walls of Babylon were 85 feet wide, 11 miles long. The city seemed impregnable. It seemed as inaccessible as an eagle's nest, and yet it fell in a single night. We'll talk more about that in a minute. 
It's why God says, Woe to you who get evil gain for his house to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you are sinning against yourself. Why does God say the Babylonians were actually sinning against themselves by killing and looting the nations? Because God is not mocked. And whatever you sow, that will you also reap. Killing and exploiting the nations didn't make them more secure. It made them less secure. So by what they were doing to the nations, they were actually sinning against themselves because they were drawing the wrath of God down on them who repaid them for all the evil they did to people. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall and the rafter will answer from, from the framework. Woe to you who think you're safe because you're rich. You destroyed many people to make your house secure, and you've only ended up hurting yourself. Proverbs 18.11 says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own imagination. Riches is false security. The rich only think they're secure. Because, Proverbs 21.12, The righteous one considers the house of the wicked, turning the wicked to ruin. The poorest person in the world who honors God is safer than the richest person who trusts in his riches because God punishes the wicked. Do you want God's favor rather than his opposition? Trust him rather than trusting money. Money is a great tool. It's a poor God. Here's the third verse of the taunt song the nations will sing about Babylon in the end. Woe to the violent. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. The, the Babylonians were classic imperialists. They extended their empire through violence and the threat of violence. And God says, woe to all who follow their example. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that people toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. All of your efforts, Babylon, will be short-lived. You, you labor for fire, that is, you labor for temporal things that will be burned up. You grow weary for nothing. Why? Because God says in the end, the knowledge of him will cover the earth. God will win in the end. And only those who ally themselves with God will win along with him. Every rebel kingdom and every rebel king will be destroyed. So Habakkuk's concern that God is using the wicked to judge the Jews, God says their time will be brief. I will see to it. Proverbs 1, 18 through 19 warns the violent but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Or as Jesus said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. You ever heard of the, of the hanging gardens of Babylon? 
one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But you can't see them today because they're gone. In fact, you can't see anything of the great city of Babylon and the architectural miracles. All that remains are a few little models in few museums in the ancient world. Everything that the Babylonians created was burned up in the fires of history. Where the town of Babylon today is is just desert in Iraq. There's nothing there. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. If you're trying to build your house or build your business or build your family by yourself, then everything, all your effort is going to come to nothing. You need the blessing of God. He's the only one who can create something that will last. Woe to the violent. Fourth verse of this song, this taunt song that the nations will sing about Babylon, woe to the immoral. Woe to you who makes your neighbors drunk, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk so as to look on their nakedness. Sounds like some of our leaders today. God, God compares Babylon to a man who gets a woman drunk so she loses her inhibitions so he can satisfy his lust. And the Babylonians were very immoral people. God is not mocked because those who exploit others sexually will be exploited themselves. You will reap what you sowed. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. And we've seen this, gosh, in the last few years. You think of all the people who were once prominent and famous and respected, whose secret lives have been uncovered. Church leaders, government leaders, entertainment leaders, so many of them that we've lost count, whose lives are, and, and they fall from a position of honor and respect to where everybody despises them for the immoral things they've done. Why? God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, this he will reap. So God says, war, 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 I'm sorry, Woe to the immoral. The cup is in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and the devastation of its beasts by which you terrified them because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, to its inhabitants. When, when Habakkuk, or when God said this to Habakkuk, Lebanon had been ravaged by a number of nations who had come in cut down its great forests, killed all of its cattle. And, and God is saying the same thing is going to happen to Judah when the Babylonians come. But God is not mocked. And whatever a man sows, he will reap. The Babylonians will have that same kind of, of disgrace as men who exploit women and women who exploit men, because God is not mocked. Here's the last verse. Woe to those who worship idols, 
What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it or an image, a teacher of falsehood, for its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols? Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake, to a mute stone, arise, and that is your teacher. Behold, is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside of it. The Babylonians were a notoriously idolatrous people, and they worshiped the idols they made and expected those idols to teach them and guide them. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The Lord is our only teacher and guide because he's the only God. And so the earth needs to be silent and listen to his voice. And in the final outcome of human history, God will be the only teacher and the only guide. That's the point. So oh, that's God's answer to, to Habakkuk. How can you use them to judge us? And God's answer is they're not going to get away with anything. Now, so what do we learn about God from this? What's, what's the answer? Well, I, three things I thought of. First of all, God is neither silent nor inactive. He will judge the nations who sin. The Babylonian Empire was a mighty empire, but it was a very brief empire. It only lasted 70 years. And we hear about its end in, in Daniel 5. Uh, this is Belshazzar's feast. Uh, Belshazzar was the son of King Nabonidus, who had just been defeated by the media Persians about 50 miles outside of Babylon. And yet Xenophon, who is a Greek historian who tells about the, the defeat of Babylon by media Persians, said that, that the city was uh, impregnable. It could not be defeated. And it had years of food laid up for it. And so with the media Persians coming and surrounding the city, Belshazzar, the acting king, who was a proud, stupid man, decides to hold a big feast just to show everybody we've got more food than we'll ever be able to eat. We're fine. It's kind of a pregame dinner. And so they, he has a dinner for a thousand people. And during this dinner, this feast, he does something that even Nebuchadnezzar was afraid to do. He calls for all the, the cups and, and, and fixtures from the temple in Jerusalem. And he gives them to all his guests so they can drink toast to their idols who they're trusting to, to save them from the media Persians. It's just a, it's a bravado. It's just saying, we're not afraid, we're not afraid of Israel's God. We're not afraid of, of the media Persians. We're good. We've got to, they will give up this siege long before we run out of food. We're, we're good. And in the middle of the feast, Belshazzar sees a disembodied hand writing on the wall. And he gets very upset. In fact, uh, the scripture says his hip joints went slack, which is a way of saying he lost control of his bowels and had to go change clothing. But he calls, he calls for his magicians and wizards and says, what do those words mean? And none of them know. They don't know what the message means. So then he calls for Daniel. Daniel is 80 years old now. And Daniel has been serving in the court of Babylon for years. And the words are many tekel of Harson. And Daniel tells Belshazzar what they mean. 
Many means to number. God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Because God rules the kingdoms of the world. He promotes one and demotes another. Babylon's years as a world power have come to an end. Tekel means to weigh. You've been weighed in the scales and found uh, deficient. Uh, Belshazzar thought of himself as a heavyweight. And Daniel says, no, you're just a lightweight. Paris, which means to divide, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And that night, the city fell without a fight. And Belshazzar was killed. Some of you are old enough to remember the Cold War. But we lived for years in the dread of the USSR. And you have these two world powers, two nuclear powers, always, always antagonistic. And, and, and I couldn't see how this could end in any way than ultimately in nuclear war. Because we had an enemy who was so strong, was as strong as we were. And what would happen? And then to everyone's surprise, in December of 1991, the Soviet Union disintegrated. And all the, all the countries that were caught up in it were, all became independent and became democracies. And, and I couldn't believe it. How when God makes a choice, it just happens. It's, it's, un, it's unlooked for. You don't know. But God determines how long kingdoms will last. And that's exactly what happened to the Babylon. Babylon, which was so strong and so mighty and so invulnerable, was gone in 24 hours. Because God, Jeremiah prophesied of the Babylonians, he said, then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans. I will make it an everlasting desolation. I'll bring upon that land all the words which I've pronounced against it. All that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings will make slaves of them, even them, the Babylonians, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the work of their hands. So Habakkuk, don't worry about the Babylonians. I've got control. I'm going to use them, and then I'm going to remove them. Here's the second thing I think we can learn about God's answer to, to uh, Habakkuk. Even though God will judge Israel for the same things he judges the Babylonians for, God's purpose for his people is redemptive. Babylon disappeared 70 years later. Israel is still with us today. And in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, God tells why he's bringing this judgment on his people. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I'll listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll restore your fortunes and will gather you from the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place where I sent you into exile. 
God says, I'm bringing the Babylonians onto you for your good. For your good. And that's exactly what happened. Israel was an idolatrous people always worshiping the gods of their neighbors for 900 years. From the time they came in jo under Joshua, took over the promised land, for 900 more years, they, idolatry was their big sin. But after 70 years in Babylon, where they were taken away into captivity, living in a truly idolatrous land, they never worshipped idols again. God burned that, that sin out of their lives. It was for their good. Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. How many of you have thought at one time that your life was ruined, that, that God, God had turned his back on you, that, that things were happening that shouldn't happen, and now you're so glad it happened just the way it happened because you never could, you couldn't be where you are today if God hadn't done that, right? And I think almost everybody here could write, yep, that happened to me. God doesn't give up on us. And his discipline is never fatal. It's for our good. But we're his children. And, and good dads discipline their kids, train their kids, right? I think that might be it. This isn't, this isn't Bible. This is my opinion, okay? So don't write this down. <laughs> I think that might be what's happening in America right now. The problem with America is not America. The problem with America is the church. We have ceased to be salt and light. We've lost our distinctive taste. We've, we've become so worldly that we just kind of give God a nod and then live for ourselves. And God is showing us what happens when the church ceases to be the church, the whole country falls apart. And the answer for, for our country is not political. It's spiritual. And it begins when the church, we turn from our sin and repent and put our trust wholly in God and, and, and concentrate on pleasing him. That's when we'll become influential again. My opinion. But anyway, that was it. Okay. So here's the last thing I think God's answer to Habakkuk, what we learn about God. The sins God judged the Babylonians for were common, everyday, personal sins. Stealing, coveting, or putting your confidence in riches, murder, sexual immorality, and idolatry. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he reap. I think sometimes when we say, where is God, we're looking for something spectacular. We're looking for something miraculous rather than seeing what his word says he'll do. And he says, he calls, causes people to reap what they sow. And you see it over and over and over again every day. And that changes the way we look at salvation. If you look at salvation as a get out of free card, 
get out of jail free card, which gives you the freedom to sin and enjoy your sins and never have to pay for them, you've missed the whole point of salvation. Peter says in, in Acts chapter 3, as he preaches the gospel to the Jews, he says in Acts 3, 26, he says, for you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Why did, Jesus ra why did God raise Jesus from the dead? To turn us from our wicked ways, to free us from our slavery to sin. The way I knew Christ was in my life was my desires changed. I stopped wanting to sin. I started wanting to, to obey God. He, he wrote God's laws in my heart. He gave me a new heart, one that wanted to obey him. And so if you think that, that I, being a Christian is just kind of living a careless life, doing what I want, and, and calling myself a Christian, because he'll forgive me, then you really don't understand salvation yet. And my advice to you would be to ask God to grant you the repentance that leads to life, to make Christ Lord of your life and free you from the thing that destroys all of us, our own sin. Let's pray. These are hard words, Father. Thank you for waking us up, that you are active in our lives and in the world. You judge sin, not because you're angry, not because you don't love us, but because you do. And you know that sin is deadly. Help us to hear your voice and turn from the things that are destroying us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.